It's in you. You possess the power. Fear and confidence are both imaginary. Choose one and live with it. Just go hard. Tony Watley. I need some motivation. Motivation. Every day I try a little harder, but my dedication. Dedication. Keep my head way, way above the water. Trying myself when I yell at the wall. Begging to run, but I needed to crawl. I see the finish line up ahead. Trying to get traction from all of this tread. I am a king. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Whether you're a new listener or you're a veteran, this is the show that's going to help you step up and be the leader that your team needs. And we talk about team. It could be anywhere from the sports team that you're on, the team at work, or simply your family. All of them require you to show up at your, as your best self and lead them to victory. Um, and this, if this is your first time listening to this podcast. This is a podcast that's designed to help you win. We break down strategies and tactics on leadership, on goal setting and achievement, on mindset, and on high performance. And if you guys are new, I'm Jeremiah Sullivan, and I'm your host. Um, today, I have a special episode, and I'm really excited about it. You know, we have a, a guest that um, I've watched from afar on social media. I've admired him. I have a lot of respect for him. I like watching his lifestyle, and I like seeing what he's come from and what he's built. Uh, this, this individual is really, he's a, he, originally he was a corporate professional, and he turned entrepreneur. He's a business mentor and coach, an outstanding speaker. He's an author of the best-selling book, Side Hustle Millionaire. He's also the host of his own podcast, 365 Driven. And overall, he's an entrepreneur that has built multiple companies. Of note, one of them, LS1 Tech, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, is an online automotive community, which grew into the largest of its kind. It had over 300,000 registered members. Pretty phenomenal. And then that business this individual sold it for millions in only five years after starting it. The crazy part and the awesome part about this is that he did it while as part-time. Okay. He did it as just a part-time business. He built a, a million, million dollar plus company part-time. It's pretty phenomenal. Um, but what I, what I really love about this individual is, you know, he shares his life of freedom, cars, and his family. And I, I really do enjoy watching it. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tony Watley. Hey, Jeremiah, it's going to be good to connect, man. You got a lot of energy and I know that your audience is really engaged and doing some cool things and pushing themselves. And those are the kind of shows I like to be on, man. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on as well, man. You know, um, we've, t- we've touched base a couple of times over the years and this is nice to I'm study you and let my audience, my audience learn from you. You know, I, I wanted to bring you in specifically because I have a lot of leaders that listen to this podcast and even on my social media who are, who are striving to become more in life. You know, we, we do, I talk about leadership, high performance and overall achievement. And the podcast is designed to kind of help them through that journey. Cause as you and I both know, the journey for achievement is pretty tough, right? It, it has its ups and downs. And I think any support that you can gain along the way is valuable. And, you know, I think you're exceptional at, I mean, a lot, but a few things specifically stand out. One is critical thinking. I think you're exceptional at critical thinking and I value your perspective on life. I think that you're an expert in, in life strategy. Whereas a lot of people I think that are, are in the success space, they focus on the flashy materialistic side of success. And I think you have a very holistic approach to it, which, which I value personally because I know like yourself, I've had near-death experiences. And when you have those, you really get clear about what you should value in life. So again, I think you're an expert in lifestyle design, critical thinking, and achievement. And that's really what I want to pull the thread on today. Dude, I love those topics. And yeah, I don't want to give myself too much credit for my earlier years because what you just described is a result of years of observance and awareness and wisdom and maturity because... I sold my first company that you'd mentioned. I was age 34. So it's relatively young for that kind of income, right? Yeah. And for context, this was 2007. So it was just before Facebook and Instagram even existed. Mm. So we had social media and forums and things like that. So I had the same insecurities. I could look, I could look, I can look at people nowadays, especially on Instagram, and I can tell how long they've been successful. I can tell because when I first became a multimillionaire, 
I did the same shit that they did. And I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying that they have to pass through that phase to become aware. And sooner or later, they're going to look back at their lives 10 years before. And they're like, man, I was like kind of a douche. I was doing things out of insecurity and ego. It was just the wrong reasons. And we all know that everybody from the spectator point of view can see that. Right. But when you become successful, the problem is that you think that you have to justify that or validate that. Or so you're looking for external validation. And that's when you start to see the flex picks, you know, like driveway up. I, I, I post a picture of my cars, like 10 cars in the driveway and, you know, the big house and the fancy watches. I did all that shit 10, 10, 15 years ago. Right. And so I had to pass through that. I'm not saying that it's, it's good or right or wrong. It's just, I, I was the same way. A lot of these things that you see nowadays, the way you just described the flex, I did that. And now I'm just more mature and understand that that's not the most important thing in life. You know, I'm glad you started with that because it ties into my my first question. And I want I you know I dug through your stuff and I know a little bit about this story, but you know you did have a near death experience. Is that could you tell me a little bit about that? And and did that help shape your perspective on life? Now, I imagine it did, and and help you shape what's valuable and what's important. I think that I always lived my life with the same core values and the ethical you know constraints and. Prior to the near-death experience, I think that I was just a little bit more reserved and putting my opinions out there outside of my friend circle. So you probably got a lot of listeners that are very vocal within their friends, but they're afraid of putting things out there in public, right? Near-death experience was 2015. I was racing cars and I was at the drag strip here in Houston and I got thrown the keys to go drive a thousand horsepower twin turbo Dodge Viper to try to get to be the first Gen 5 Viper for the car guys into the nines. I've, I've got a couple of Vipers myself. One of them runs low nines, 155 in the, in the quarter. So I've got a lot of seat time. I've been doing that for 20 years. I used to write and shoot for all the automotive magazines. I've been a test driver on road courses, setting lap records and drag step records. So I'm very familiar in that setting. Well, in this particular pass, it was really the only pass I'd made in this car. It was the last run of the night, kind of a Hail Mary, because we're trying to set a record. The track was closing. They turned up the boost a little bit. They put a brand new set of slicks on the back, and we were just going to go for it, right? And everything was going good, man. I launched it really well, and it seemed like it was on a good pass. I grabbed second. Everything's good. Hit third gear. Everything started good, and it started to get a little bit out of line at the top of third gear, but a car with a 1,000 horsepower, that's not unusual, right? And so I'm thinking, man, I'm just going to keep this thing straight. It's still going to get a number. But then it started to go closer to the right side wall. I was in the right lane. Luckily, I was by myself on the track, but it started getting closer to the wall, even though I was kind of trying to keep it off by steering a little bit left. And eventually it started grazing the wall, like just on that side of the car on the right side. And man, I was that adrenaline rush that I had from that racing in that moment was replaced by disappointment and just kind of anger at myself. So the emotional journey, right? You go from adrenaline, maybe a little fear mm-hmm. to anger and a little bit of a disappointment because I damaged somebody else's car, a very expensive car that I was trusted with. And I'm doing about 130 miles per hour at that point. And I said, okay, well, if that's the worst of it, I can just slow it down. And, you know, the, of course we didn't get the record, but, you know, everything's okay. And I started to slow down. And as soon as I came off of that wall, what happened is the rear wheel was steering for me. And that's what was causing it to pull right is that it's an independent rear axle car and, and something broke in the suspension during the pass where it was causing the rear wheels to do the steering. So when I came off the wall, it went hard left and I'm still steering straight. The car decided it's going hard left. I'm now I'm looking at the Jersey barriers, the concrete barriers in a two door sports car doing 130 miles per hour. And I said to myself in that moment, well, here I go. And I truly thought I was going to die in that moment. And it just seemed like an eternity. I know it was only milliseconds at that speed, but it seemed like an eternity. And people were like, you know, what did you feel? And I can still think about how I felt. And the weirdest thing about it is I felt really peaceful in that moment. I didn't, I didn't have like the dramatic thing like you see in the movies where you see your entire life flash before your eyes. I didn't, I didn't think about regrets or anything. I, I was peaceful. And I just basically said, well, here I go. And I still remember saying that to myself. I probably said it out loud. And of course, I hit the impact and the, the airbags deploy and it's nighttime by then. The airbags lit off the, the white powdery smoke. It filled the cabin and I could just hear the entire car just being ripped to pieces. And all I remember was shutting my eyes right before the airbags deployed and then opening them and realizing I'm still alive from the impact. But I didn't know if I was injured or not. I just knew that I was still awake. And then my racer training kind of kicked in. I was like, man, I need to get out of this car because most people don't die from impact. It's from fire. 
because they get knocked out, they get unconscious. All it takes is one spark to ignite all the fluids that are being dumped out of this car. I mean, brake fluid, transmission fluid, gasoline, oil, every single one of them is flammable. So it, you're, you're dragging metal across pavement. There's a lot of sparks. And I was like, I got to get out of this car as soon as it comes to a rest. And it just kept sliding, man. It felt like it was sliding forever. And I just remember, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Just get, got to get out of this car. And then it finally came to a rest. And I had to pry that door open because I caved in that side of the car. And I got out and I was really calm. I didn't know if I was injured. I could hear the paramedics coming up the track in the ambulance. I hear my friends sprinting up the quarter mile yelling. I hear four wheelers approaching. And, and I was just standing there. I took my helmet off and I was just looking at the wreckage. Just literally wheels off the car. Every damn, every body panel of this car was just crashed. It, like, it must have spun around. And I was just, just looking at the car and I got in the back of the ambulance. The paramedic has me take my shirt off and she's asking me a bunch of questions to see if I have a concussion. And she's checking my vitals and poking me and saying, does this hurt? Does this hurt? And it's like, no, 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 no. And eventually when she's done with it, I'm, I'm sitting there in the back of the car looking at the wreckage while she's doing this. And she's like, do you mind if I tell you something unusual? And I was like, oh shit, like what she's going to, what'd she find? You know, that was what my immediate thought was. Yeah. And she just said that you're remarkably calm for someone who's had a major accident. Mm. People crash out here all the time. They usually have the adrenaline shakes. They've got the elevated heart rate. They get the cold sweats, the physiological signs of fear, or it just, just trauma, you know, post-trauma. And I said, I am, I am calm. I feel really calm. And it was, and I, I felt the same calmness that I felt when I was approaching the wall all through that entire thing. I never felt panic. And the thing is that I know that they're really unusual to think about. And what, I, what was going through my mind is that I'm looking at the wreckage sitting in the back of the ambulance. And I'm looking at my, my car. And I'm thinking like, what if I would have died right there? I mean, we've been, I thought I was dead. Like what if it would have happened? And then I start thinking about how would I have been remembered? Like that's, that's the question you kind of sit with a little bit. You're like, wow, how would I have been remembered if I died just now? What would my wife say? What would my parents say? What would my, what would my son say? What would my friends say? Like, what would they think? How would they remember me? And we start thinking about the things that other people have recently passed away in the same regard. And you go, how were they remembered? You kind of start doing the comparison game, right? Well, it was easy. Like a lot of people die in racing and motorcycles, the scene that I've been in and they, it was always the same thing. So-and-so was nice. So-and-so had cool cars gone too soon. Right. And I said, is that good enough? Is that really, is that really what I'll be remembered as rich guy with cool cars, nice gone too soon. And dude, I've always been someone that's pushed myself and try to be an overachiever and really competitive. And it just was a, like a flashing neon sign that I just wasn't doing enough with my life. Yeah. I was, I was financially successful. Family's taken care of everything about it, but I, I just wasn't doing enough. And in that moment, I was like, I need to go to do something to create impact. And that's when I left my corporate career. It was 2015. How, how old were you at that time? That was, I think it was around 44. Yeah. And did you have anything like close to that prior to that incident? Absolutely not. I think the only thing we can really think about is our friends or our family passing away, you know, but it's, it's never you because just like you, I mean, you're in combat sports, you're military, like most of us live like we're invincible and that every day is guaranteed. We just think we're bulletproof and nothing's ever going to happen to us. And we think that we got plenty of time left, especially if you're not 85 years old. Yeah. Isn't that funny how everybody knows that everyone else will die, but nobody expects themselves to die. Yeah. We got, we got all these people out there running around now, fearful and wearing masks and just going ape shit crazy. But you know what? We're all going to die anyways. Right. Did you, with that, with your accident, you know, that <clears throat> I can relate a lot to, to your story, the feeling of being calm in the middle of, of something that's horrific and that peace that comes about you. I mean, you, you took me back to a few experiences and the epiphany that you had afterwards. Um, I imagine that some of those thoughts were, you know, were cultivated in that single moment, but then probably developed across time. Is that, is that true? Or was it that clear that, Hey, listen, I need to do more with my life in that moment or to take a little bit of time to develop that. I knew that I needed to create more impact. And I knew that was within my control because I always take full accountability for where I'm at. And I've always had good discipline. And what it told me was that I'm just not making enough impact in this world. I, I definitely have made impact for my friend circle and my family and the businesses that I created and things like that. But I knew that there was a lot more potential. See, and that always ate at me because 
I had insecurities, man. I still, we all have insecurities. I still have insecurities. And I've got a skin condition called vitiligo where I'm like literally covered with white spots, like head to toe in different areas. So I grew up with people looking at me, asking me what's wrong with me. And, mm. and so I knew that I didn't like being on camera. I didn't want to be on stage. I was really comfortable being the MVP and hiding behind the logo of the companies that I created and building success in the background. I'm okay with that. I knew that I would like to be the lead singer of a band or a motivational speaker. Like I always admired the qualities of those people to do that, but I just never knew that was going to be for me because I knew that I was going to be judged and I just wanted to avoid that. I had a really comfortable life. I had every convenient excuse not to do it, right? Oh, I got a family. I got a career. I've got companies I run. Like I don't have time for that. Uh, just all the convenient excuses. Post-accident, I started realizing like, Dude, I'm just doing it out of, I'm, I'm avoiding that out of fear. It's fear. It's just based on fear, fear of criticism, fear of what other people are going to think, fear of what potentially they're going to think or say. And so after, after that, I started to realize that, man, I need to put my purpose ahead of my fear. And that's hard to do because we all think we have a really strong purpose, but then we let the fear get in our way and we never go pursue that purpose. And that's how most people live until they're in a situation that realize like I could have died or that could have happened and I need to be doing more, right? So it, it took me two years, dude. I didn't know what impact meant. Like when you go ask people like, hey, what's your purpose? Or what's the meaning to life? Or, These are super deep questions that nobody really has the answer to. It took me two more years. Luckily, I was in a financial situation where I could go leave the corporate career and go figure out stuff and pick up contractor roles and do things, odds and ends and run my other businesses. But I had to go figure out what that meant for me. And for me, it came down to two things. I love cars. I've always been a car fanatic, even since I was a kid and I couldn't even talk. I'd run around with Hot Wheels. And the other thing I was always fascinated with, with biz, was business. Even as a, as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, I remember going to the grocery store with my mom. And while she was shopping, I would go run to the magazine racks back when those were a thing. And I would read magazines. And initially, it was my car magazines. But I didn't have any money growing up. I was lower middle class. And none of our family had money. We had government assistance. My dad's also a Marine vet, you know, Vietnam vet. So... I just realized like, hey, these other magazines on this other side of the shelf are talking about money and stuff. Like maybe if I read some of those, I'll figure out how to make money. Like there's gotta be a there's gotta be a clue in there, right? So eventually I would go read my car magazines and then the money magazines. I was 12. I've I've I'd actually had a subscription to like entrepreneur and success and stuff like that when I was a kid. And my parents, my mom thought it was cool. My dad just thought it was weird. And I know it's weird saying that now, but I just wanted to go learn how to make money or how to talk money or how to understand money. And so I said, okay, the best way I'm going, to, I'm going to make impact in this world is teach people confidence and business principles, things I've demonstrated and helped other people. And I've yeah. helped, helped 12 of my previous staff members that work for my companies build seven, eight, and nine-figure businesses and made them multimillionaires themselves. And they're always telling me, like, you should be doing this full-time, man. You should be teaching people this. Look at these results. And I was like, man, I'm proud of you. Like, keep crushing it. Awesome, dude. I love these things. But I didn't want to put myself out there, man. See, for the longest time, for 15 years, I was coaching people privately, just as a hobby. They weren't paying me. I was just teaching them stuff and encouraging them and supporting them when nobody else would, would support them. I'd show up when nobody else would. And then they got these results. And I just kept saying, oh, man, I'm busy. I got a career. And it was me avoiding that, that potential spotlight. That's what I was doing. And it was a, it was a whisper in your ear telling you to do it too, is what it sounds like. Like you had this job that you're working on. You had this passion, this calling that was pulling you into helping and serving other people. At the same time, there was a whisper in there saying, Hey man, you should be doing this. The other people are coming up, encourage you to, to kind of come out of the path that you're on and you're, you're shutting that out. And, um, I think that's huge because I think for, for every listener right now, you know, pay attention to your whispers right? Pay attention to the things that are trying to pull you up, maybe a slightly different course than you're currently on, because that's truly your calling. And, and Tony, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that's amounted to. So now, you know, you were essentially playing safe most of your life, right? Not really living out there and, and, and extending yourself into what you truly wanted to do. Um, you had a great quote unquote, you know, great job, right? Where you're making the salary and you're, um, you're successful by a lot of people's standards, but in, internally there's this conflict that you want to make a change. You, you don't quite, you don't, you don't, don't ever step into it, but then this tragic event happens and that shifts your, your direction in, in life completely. And so what does that amount to? You know, I covered the 30,000 foot overview, you know, when we started here, but share some of those highlights, like what, what has confronting fear done for you? 
internally and externally? And that's a good question. And there's a lot of layers to this. And I was actually just having a conversation with the guy that owns the gym that I was at this morning about the same topic, because he's going through some of these growing pains, we say through entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So this is really fresh on my mind, like how convenient. Now, he's going through this, but also I went through this. This was 2017, 18 for me and my wife. We'd both left the oil and gas industry. I was a really high level, multiple six-figure earner. I was on the executive path successful, like you said, by most standards. I was in a Fortune 10 company. I was working for Chevron. Like Everybody knows that, right? And when I left, a lot of people were like, man, I can't believe you're going to walk away from 20 years of experience and that kind of income. And like, what are you going to do with your engineering degree? Are you even going to use it anymore? It's like, it was like a whole lot of like waste that I was going to walk away. I was like pushing the, the nuclear option. And the thing is that most people think that because that's what keeps them in their own jobs and their own careers too long. They have that same thought. I had that same thought, but most people think that decisions are final for some reason. It's not true. They just think that decisions are final. Like if I leave this corporate career and I don't use my degree and I go start something else, they think that they can never change their mind and they can never go back. But really the worst case scenario when you start looking at it is that, okay, let's see, I go try something. It doesn't work. A year later, I can go just get another job. Like if that's the worst possible scenario, like, oh man, I may have to go get a job. Like, yeah. that's not even bad, man. I mean, there was a time that I worked three jobs. So one job at a high level, like psh, that's easy. That's an easy decision. So anytime you're coming with these, these really hard decisions, ask yourself, what's the potential upside, the potential win that you're missing out on the opportunity cost? What are you missing out on by being stagnant, complacent, comfortable, and hanging out where you're currently at? Because the potential upside is always better unless you've just got a really non-creative mind and you can't think about your potential. Like, like the upside is always better. What's the worst case? You go get a job. Like big deal. Boo-hoo. Just like if you were to get laid off outside of your control, you're going to have to get another job. Like, okay, that's the worst case, right? So once you get through that stage, you're going to realize that some of your friends don't always understand why you're doing what you're doing because not everybody's driven by purpose. Not everybody's driven by impact. Most people. When you ask them, Jeremiah, like, what's your duty? What's your purpose? What do they usually say? Oh, man. Either they draw a blank or they say some story that they've inherited from somebody else, right? It's, a fa- it's usually family. It's usually family. That, that too? That, yeah. You do it's usually that. like, oh, I just want to take care of my kids and my, and my wife or, you know, my husband. Like, very, yeah, very true. Cool. So vast majority of people say that their purpose is their family. And I always challenge people with that. because. It sounds honorable to say that, and it's by design, because if you hang out with people who aspire to do average things and they say, hey, it's, I'm, I'm, my purpose is my family, well, they usually that means like we're not going deeper on this conversation. Please don't challenge me because average people were like, yeah, it's me and my family too. Like They'll just validate each other, right? And yeah. the conversation's over with. If you tell someone with a big idea or big thinking or someone who really pushes themselves, we'll say, it's not, your family's not your purpose. That's your duty. Yeah. That's your duty. Like you have to do that no matter what, whether you're failing or winning, that's your duty. That's your role and responsibility in life to take care of your family. Now, what's your real potential? And now they're like, oh shit, like who's this guy like challenging that? Like I've never been challenged that way. I never even thought about it. I thought it was just all the average Joes I hang around with just say, hey, I just want to make take care of my family. So we all just do the same thing, right? I think, you know, I think people too, it's not to your point to add to this. I think people also use their family as an excuse not to take a chance on themselves. They say, you know what, my fam- my kids are my purpose. I need to not pursue this new uh, endeavor because I need to be there for my kids. When in fact, pursuing the new endeavor is the best way to support your kids, right? Absolutely. People use their kids as an excuse all the time. I mean, it, for a long period of my time, I would use my family as an excuse for me not to do what I'm doing today, right? Because it's yeah. convenient. And when you hang around people that validate convenient and comfortable lives, that's all they repeat back and forth. It's like playing tennis. They just hit it over the net and you hit it back and then they hit it over. It's like the same excuses get played over this net back and forth between the people you hang around with. And so you don't think about challenging yourself or doing a little bit different or evolving or changing or making yourself uncomfortable, right? I mean, like we're both into fitness. There's a lot of people like, oh man, I don't have time to go to the gym. Like what? Like the most successful people in this world with families, with spouses, running multiple companies, 
talking to shareholders, like the busiest, most successful people in this world still find time to go to the gym and you have excuses. Well, I'm with my family, you know, my job's really demanding. Like, oh, nobody that has a demanding job or a family exercises, like, come on, it's an excuse. So with, when, when we talk about fear, you know, what I, the question was, how, what has it done for you internally and externally? Internally, yeah. it sounds like it's made you confront kind of the bullshit excuses that yes. you're putting in your way. And externally, it's built a life. It's helped you build a life that you actually enjoy where it could, that consists of freedom. It's, it's allowed you to pursue the things that you wanted to pursue, correct? Absolutely. I think that you start to call out on your own nonsense when you get to that level of awareness. And the other thing is that you don't tolerate it from external people either. When people use those, those old ways of thinking around you, you just don't tolerate it anymore because you've adopted such a higher discipline for yourself. Like you could see right through that bullshit because you used to say the same stuff, right? So that, that was the hard part internally. And then getting rid of the people that really that were toxic in my life. Most humans, we hold on to toxic relationships because we're, we're pack animals, so to speak. And we, we hold on to negative relationships, even though they don't really serve us because we're going really hardwired against a bunch of human evolution, where if you got outcast from the tribe, you're going to lose your resources to re reproduction and food and shelter and all these things that are benefit from being in a group. So most people subconsciously will just tolerate bullshit from people that they shouldn't. And that's what holds them back. Because when you're hanging around with a bunch of people that are passive aggressive or asking you why you're doing that, or like, oh, that sounds risky to me, or, you know, where you become a little more successful, they go, oh, hey, it must be nice. Yeah. All right, look, look at Mr. Like big bucks here. They start saying passive aggressive shit like that to try to hold you in the same boxes with them. Dude, it's like you have to be aware of that and you have to really create distance and boundaries between yourself and those people, whether that's getting off of them on social media and just not, not following them anymore or not, not interacting with them anymore, not going out and hanging out with them anymore. Some of these people have good hearts. They're just, they're just not the right people. They're toxic and they're just pessimistic and they're always talking down about your dreams. What, uh, what's one of the hardest things you've ever done? I would say that that's one of them. 2019 new year's day. My wife and I, we were, we went to a new year's vacation in Colorado Springs, your state, right? That's exactly where I live. I live in Colorado Springs. Yeah. So we were at the Broadmoor, you know, where that is. Yep. We got up that morning and said, Hey, this is going to be a different year. Cause 17 and 18 were tough. You know, that was, those were tough years for us business-wise. My wife was starting her real estate company. I was starting this. I was rescaling the, the other businesses that I created. So it was like just really putting a lot of work in. And that was the two years that we felt like the friends were kind of just like not supporting or just making fun of the stuff we're doing or just not understanding. Yep. And we got up that morning on New Year's Day and we said, hey, let's make lists. You make a list. I'll make a list of the names that we deem are toxic to the people that we just kind of feel with that gut feeling that just weren't there for us. Mm. You know, and I had maybe 10 names. She probably had a dozen names and we looked at them. And as a husband and wife, we decided we're just going to create distance from those people forever. And we got rid of them on Facebook. We just started deleting them and people that were family, we just unfollowed that way. We didn't shake the boat, but we didn't have to interact with them anymore. See their stuff or their comments. So how'd you, how'd you decide who to put on that list? You know, I mean, I heard you say who's not good for me, but what was the thought process there? Cause I think a lot of tons of people, struggle with this, you know, and, and, and the thing with a toxic relationship is, you know, you, you tend to justify it all the time. Oh, it's not that bad. I'll keep them around. So what was the conversation like for somebody that wants to get rid of some bad people in their life? You know, if they're working through that, what's some guidance that you give them and what did you use to make those decisions? It comes around the energy of the people, right? So and I'm, not, I'm not talking about how energetic they are, but the energy that they put out, the mm. the things that we can't see, like the things that animals are really good at sensing, that sixth sense around good or bad or, you know, or just frenemies, like the topics we hear, we as humans can sense that with other people. But the problem is, is that when we're empathic and we trying to give people the benefit of the doubt, like we, we will give people respect before they've earned it right. most of the time, right? Unless you're just an asshole or dickhead, like you're, you hate everybody. That's fine. That's, that's your thing, whatever's your thing. But we tend to give people a benefit of respect and let them fail us before we pull it away. So energy, dude, like, Here's a good example. It's a tangible one. Let's say that, you know, I got my cell phone here. Let's say that it starts ringing and I look at the screen and I see whose name it is. Ah, yeah. If I see that name, what do I, what's my initial gut reaction to their name? Is it, ah, ah shit, this guy's going to sell me something or ah, shit, this guy wants something, right? <laughs> right. Is it like, if you, if you, if you, if you look at it and go, oh man, what now? 
you know, or what now? Like, what's this guy want now? Yep. Yep. Or, or if you go, fuck yeah, I can't, man, I can't wait to talk to this person. It's been a while. I'm looking forward to catching up. Like he's got some fun stuff to talk about. Like that, that reaction that you have tells you everything. And you know what? There's no in between. There's no in between. Mm, there's no, there, there's no, there's no gray area of that. It's, it's either like, fuck, I don't know. I don't have time for this person. Or it's like, man, I'm going to make time for this person. Yeah, right. That's, that's really good. That's, and you know, I like about it too, is because it ties into one of the things that I see you as an expert in both of these subjects, fear and, and re- removing the toxic people in your life. And that's lifestyle design. Like a lot of people want a great life, but you're not going to get there if you have those two barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about how you've designed your life. I'd love to shape that for the audience. You know, I, and you, maybe you can validate some of the things that I've seen or refine them, but you know, I see you as a guy that, that values time. Um, you like to spend time with your, you know, yourself, your family, your travel, your cars, uh, but you also love providing and being of service to others. And so you value time there. So talk, talk to me a little bit about what your lifestyle looks like and how you've designed intentionally designed your life. I grew up with the same cliche phrase that most people come to believe, which is not true, is time is money. And so I grew up thinking if I don't have money, then I had to go trade units of my time for more units of money. So it was always picking up OT and extra shifts or an extra job or working three jobs. That's what I did. Or I would sell things and flip things. Like I'd always try to trade my time for money. And that's how most people are raised. That's, that's general society because only 15% of the population is entrepreneurial, right? So 85% of the population grew up with that mindset. Yeah. Just go trade units for money. So I didn't really value time as much back then because time is just money. Like I believe that, right? Time is money. Money is time. Like it's a big deal. It's like interchangeable. But now when you start to make money and you start to make money regardless of time, when you can make money while you're sleeping, when you're making money while you're on vacation, you realize that time is not equal to money. Time is just time. Money is just money. And if you could disconnect the two, you start to have a little bit different perspective and understanding like you can become extremely wealthy without having to be somewhere. I don't have to clock in. I don't have to show up. I don't have to do any of these things and I can still make money. So therefore, time is not equal to money anymore. I learned that in my early 30s. And so I started to value at that time more money. Like, man, I could just make more money now because I can do it without time limits. Like, psh, I can make money by the internet. Like, people are literally shopping around the world and my businesses are, I have the entire world as my customer base and I can make money like all the time. Like, so I valued money because I didn't have an attachment to time. Right. And then the near death experience occurs. And then I go through my 30s just, stacking dollars and making money. And that's all I'd focused on. And I made a lot of sacrifices around family and social events and things like to go do that because that's what men do, right? That's how we are defined. Like, we just got to do what it takes to go make money. Like we hear this bullshit over and over and over our entire lives. And so now after, you know, being what most people would say is rich for, you know, almost 20 years, I realized after that near death experience, that time is far more valuable than money. Mm-hmm. And what do I need to do to get more time? At the end of the day, Jeremiah, we all want more time. We all want more time, whether that's daily or on your lifespan. We all want more time. We, don't, we may not know it at the time, but we always want more time. That's what we're always working for. We want to become successful because we hope that it buys us more free time to be able to do things that we want. But the problem with most business owners is they don't, they don't understand that until it's too late. They just work and they work and they work and they make more money, but they don't really ever give themselves the free time to go to things, the things that they truly wanted. Right. And it's because they don't have the, they don't have time in mind. So what you're saying, you know, is you you got clear about the lifestyle that you wanted and the lifestyle was time. It's like, okay, I'm I'm building wealth, but what do I value after that accident? And it's time. And so, so you start with that in mind first is what it sounds like. Time is a priority. And here's the thing we have technology and all these different hacks and things that we can automate nowadays, like to save time, right? That's what we're always trying to do is save time, right? But here's the problem. Most people will do those things to save time, but then they'll just backfill that free time with more bullshit that doesn't make them, that doesn't make them happy. They're just working longer. They're literally doing more tasks and less time because of technology and hacks and all these things. But it's like the whole purpose of hacking time should be that you get that time back for you and your family and the things you enjoy. Like if I want to go race cars or go to the gym for three hours or whatever the hell I want to do, like, why can't I create these hacks to make a little bit more income, but also get my time back? Like that's what we should be focused on. So are you always, when you're making decisions in your business now, are you constantly looking for ways to 
gain, like every decision is based off of, will I get more time by applying, pulling this lever now? Will I get more time later? Is that kind of how you look at it? Can I scale essentially my time by doing this? Is, is that your approach? Absolutely. You know, it's in the world of entrepreneurship and the hustle mentality, right? Most people, unfortunately, are fooled by thinking that putting in 24-7, 365, crushing it and sleeping four hours and sleeping hacks and all this shit, they think that that's a, a badge of honor. They think that right. that's somehow teaching them how to be a badass. Like, you know, I don't need sleep. I, you know, I, I could do this thing and this and that and take these drugs or whatever the fuck and like stay like up all day and like, yeah, I'm running 150 businesses. Like, so someone that's getting into that business or that kind of industry, they're thinking like, shit, I got to do that to compete. Like, holy crap. Like these people are machines. So we start to glorify these people that are really killing themselves physically to go try to become successful. And I don't do that. You'll never hear me say that because for that seven years I was in college, I was working construction. I was waiting tables. I was a mechanic. I was going to school at night. I was sleeping four hours. It took me seven years to graduate school. So that was my 24-7 hustle of grind like in my 20s. And now I realize that, dude, that, that doesn't work very long. That doesn't work. Your health fades, your relationships fade, you're depressed, you're broke. Like all the negative physiological signs start to show up when you live like that. It's like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I, I was very fortunate to go through that in my 20s to be able to realize like it didn't work for me. I actually had more gray hair in my 20s than I do in my 40s because of stress and sleep deprivation and probably eating 99 cent double cheeseburgers every day because that's what I could afford, right? And so nowadays I look at the business and go, hey, what's my time involvement in this? And if it's not worth the purpose behind why I'm building it, I just won't be interested in it. It's, just not, it's not worth it to me because yeah, it's, it's cool to glorify like some of the mentors and things that we know, like hundred million dollar plus companies, like that sounds awesome. Like, and, the, and it defines me, I'm just a super badass entrepreneur, but I wouldn't trade places with a lot of people that talk about the revenue numbers. I just wouldn't because I would have done that in my thirties when I was kind of misled, but in my forties with wisdom and experience and understanding, I don't need to make a million dollars a year to be happy. Yeah. You know, I don't have to do that. And you see, you see those same people com not complain, but they have remorse about that path later on. They, they always say, I wish I would have taken more time. I would have, I wish I would have paused a little bit more, built things a little bit differently to enjoy what I was doing instead of getting stuck in that, that hustler trap, like you talked about. And the truth of the matter is if you want to succeed, you're, there's going to be periods where you have to go through that. But, but the honest truth is the guys that, that are bragging about how much they're, they're working are probably not the people that are going to achieve success. It's the people that actually just go through it and get it over with. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to hustle for a little while. I got to wake up at two o'clock in the morning to build my business. And then once I'm done with that, I'm going to move on because I don't want to live like that the rest of my life. Uh, those are the people that succeed. So I think, you know, I just, I admire that about you. And, and I think that more people need to hear that message because time is, is, is the most you know, precious commodity and, um, it gets wasted a lot. So with that in mind, um, you know, it, it definitely ties into critical thinking, you know, and problem solving, which again, I, th I think that you're an expert in, um, one of the things that I, I often admire about your stuff on social media is one, you talk about world events, which I, I like a lot. And I think a lot of people are afraid to, but you do it in a way that is um, pretty neutral. And I think it's, you, you deliver facts versus feelings. But then on top of that, you're, I served with some pretty incredible people in the military, some very intelligent individuals, uh, you know, generals, colonels in the Ranger Regiment. I got to see how they operated and they had this, the best of the best, they had this ability to receive information and use it very, very quickly. And I called it frequency. They had a high frequency for information. And I, I see that same thing in you when I, when I read your post. So I'm curious for a guy like yourself that is collecting information, you know, do, do you feel like it's important to, would you say that you have a more of a, of a surface level approach to world events or do you go deep before you go wide? Like how do you process information and do you go deep or do you go wide preferably? I think there's a little noise in the background. There's a power washer outside, but the thing is that, I think that a lot of times we look at the world it, and I think I benefit from working in the oil industry, first of all, because I was international projects. So I was managing projects in France and in England and Africa and Italy. So I, I had a very global view of the world and understand 
even oil itself is a global commodity. So it's not like US dollars. It's it's a global commodity. So I have very good understanding of economics and how what one hap- what happens in one country affects another, right? Did that for 20 years. So I understand the politics and the games that these different countries will play with each other to try to manipulate to get a result that they want for their own constituents within their own com- country, regardless of what the other countries are doing, right? And America, as much as I love this country and it's the best country in the world, we still play a lot of games. We still do a lot of things that are unethical to the rest of the world, but we always position ourselves as the heroes of the world, even though we're not always doing the right thing, right? It's very, very true. I saw, I, I saw that overseas and I would, I'd come back from deployments and I'd be like, guys, if you saw what I saw, you, you know, it's funny that a lot of veterans, after they get done serving, they want minimal amount of government control in their life. And people that have never served, typically the other side will will often look to the government for help all the time. And it's kind of funny that the people that have the experience working with the government are like, no, 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 I <laughs> I don't want to be there. Um, so you know, it sounds like you've gotten that same experience working through the corporate environment. You have you naturally had were exposed to that worldview. So when you're processing information now, what's your what's your goal? Uh, or how do you go about it? What's your process for gathering information? And then what do you see as your responsibility for passing along information? Is it to provide the facts? Is it to persuade? Can you talk me through that a little bit? If you want to be a thought leader, here's how I describe this. And this is very classical way of understanding what a thought leader is versus a thought repeater, right? Because some people just want to repeat headlines. They just want to, mm. they just want to fall into the, the trap of just repeating headlines, whether that's from Fox News or CNN and whatever things that's irritating them, they just share it, right? But they don't ever interject their own opinions about things or try to discern what am I reading and what does this even mean? They just post headlines. That's how most people are about politics and world events. So I think about this is that I go like, like an engineer, I will go research things and I'll try to find as much information as I can to form an opinion, whether that's aligned with something or not aligned with something. I don't care. I just, I, what is my opinion? Like given all the data, the experience, my life, all these different things combine into some kind of a decision or a statement or a position. And I'm not afraid to put that out there because that's what a thought leader is like. Whatever's on my mind, I just put it out there. A lot of times you see me post those little caption things that get a lot of engagement. That's just what was on my mind in that moment. It's like, hey, that sounds kind of cool. Boom, put it out there. Hundreds of people respond or get it, get butt hurt about it or whatever, right? I don't care because that's my thought. So a thought leader is not afraid to put their own opinions out there and also be willing to to explain why, right? Okay, here's my thought. Here's why I believe that. And being able to hold your ground based on your research. And I can tell that I outstudy people and, you know, they always want to talk surface level things and I dig them deeper and they're like, fuck, like they came unprepared to the debate. That's how they are. That's how you win debates is you prepare. So I'll lay out the, the, the low hanging fruit for them. Sometimes they'll swing at it and they're not good at it. And I just make them look, I make them, I make them make themselves look stupid. Like, I'm not trying to make them look stupid. I make them make themselves look stupid. I think right? it's something, I think additionally, while you're doing that, you're also becoming more intelligent because the higher level people are going to go ahead and come forward and have a conversation with you and then challenge your side of things. And so you yep. grow intellectually. So I love, I love, I think this is an important topic because a lot of, I have a problem with the Instagram and social media one hitters that are out there, the, mm-hmm. the 30 second clip of the, this president, this politician and people like, you know, the marketing side of all that stuff. And it, I think it does a disservice to all the, the data and the facts that are out there because that information isn't spread. And I think that it's a leader's responsibility, not necessarily to persuade people, but to help people think and help people design their own opinions. And I think that you should be, you should stand secure in your own personal beliefs. If you can't do that, you're not leading anybody. You're just hiding essentially. Right. Um, I, yeah. I think that if somebody wanted to I, cause I get questions about this a lot from, from my, my clients inside of Conquer Academy, they, they ask me a lot about critical thinking, um, and specifically how to, you know, weed through all the bullshit that's out there in the marketplace. And I give them my strategies, but for somebody that's out there and maybe wants to pick your brain on, or get some tactical advice on, on solving problems and, and thinking critically about what's being pushed in front of their face, what's some, what's a couple of things that they can do that they might not know that they need to do to, to get through that and find the facts and generate their own opinions. I think that first of all, turn off all the news. You got to clear your mind of emotion because you got to realize that CNN, Fox or whatever your choice is, usually the most dangerous media, the, the news, the most dangerous one is the one that you agree with. <laughs> it's fair. Yeah. 
And you don't, you don't understand that. You're like, well, you know, I believe what Fox is telling me, so I'm going to keep watching them, or I believe what CNN is telling me, so I'm going to keep watching them. So that's dangerous because these people in this industry are the masters. They actually defined manipulation and propaganda. They, they created it. They're the experts. They are the benchmark experts at mind manipulation and propaganda. And here's the thing is that Fox is not trying to convert CNN viewers to Fox viewers. CNN is not trying to convert Fox viewers into CNN viewers. They know which lane they're in, and they're going to keep pouring gasoline on that fire to keep you coming to the feeding trough, I say. So every morning, mom Fox is in there stirring up a batch of shit to put in the, the trough, and they know what emotional triggers that you have. They know what makes you angry. They know what you're going to share because it's a multi-billion dollar industry that's paid by you clicking links, sharing links visiting the website so they can generate all this advertising revenue. So it's a game. So if I just actually put a legit headline on there that's non-emotional and it's not going to trigger somebody or not make someone angry, you may not even click on it. You may not even read it. You're not going to make any money from that. So they purposely will put things that trigger you and make you angry or upset or emotional. And that's why you always see these screenshots like CNN use this headline and Fox use this headline. And they're two different things, but they're both speaking to their audience. They're not meant to be seen by the other side. So that's intentional. And when you start to realize like I'm being fucking manipulated by these things and I show up at the feeding trough, like a good little puppy every day. And I, yeah. I lap that stuff up and I go share it on my social medias and I get raged about it. And I, you know, ah, like, look at what they're doing. Like guys, turn that shit off. Unfollow every single news media, even the ones you agree with, just unfollow them all. Just, just get rid of that shit from your lives. For one, you're going to realize that this is a lot happier world than those people portray. Damn straight. And that people out there in general public actually do get along despite what you see on the internet. Generally, like vast majority get along. It's actually a beautiful world. There's a lot of miracles that happen every day that we don't even get to witness or see because we're so snowed in by that bullshit. So that's step one. Now, going back to the thought leadership stuff, it's okay to be conservative. It's okay to be liberal, whatever side you want to be on. I, I'm, a, I'm considering myself a moderate, right? I lean right on fiscal things or small government, and I like military because I think a strong offense is a good defense. People don't mess with us when we have good defense set up. Now, liberally, I don't care about who you bang in the bedroom and who you get along with or what color you want to make your hair or what do you want to call yourself? Like, cool. Like, if, you, if it makes you happy, go do that stuff. Like, it's up to you. I'm not going to tell you, like, you got to be like the Bible. And, you know, the problem is that both sides are fucked up and they try to try to make the other side exactly like them, which is not how the world is. Like, mm. 80% of the population is in the middle. They're moderates. Now, here's the fucked up thing about moderates or libertarians, because a lot of people go, I'm a libertarian. I'm in the middle. Like, you can't be in the middle of the road for every fucking topic. Right. You actually, if you're in the middle, you pick and choose the topics that matter to you and you go all in. So if, if there's something that I really care about that's on the liberal side, I will go and support that. And I'll be vocal about that. If there's something on the conservative side, I will go, I will extend past the middle to go reach into each side to find the things that really matter to me and why I support those things. Yeah. And that's what a thought leader does. Most people just want to play safe and I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to upset. So I'm just going to be in the middle. Like yeah, that's bullshit. Stay, it's like the they safe, just stay in like the middle. It's like the safe zone. It's, it's, you're Dude. really just saying you stand for nothing and you're just favoring the middle path. Being in yeah. the So don't, don't pick teams. Pick topics, pick topics that mean something to you. If it's first responders or military, go, go all in on that. If it's supporting LGBTQ or PETA or whatever environment, like go all in on that too. Like it, it doesn't have to define you. Like the, too many people in the United States allow the, the political party to define them. And here's where it's fucked up. Here's when you're, not, you're no longer a thought leader. Thought leaders are willing to change their perspective and be vocal about it. Thought leaders are willing to be challenged learn new perspectives, new data, new evidence, new revelations, new experience, and formulate a different opinion. And they're willing to let go of the old version of themselves to, to say, hey, I said that yesterday, but today I believe this based on the new evidence and things I've discovered, new, new wisdom. I've, I've come up with this thing and this is how I believe today. That's what a thought leader does. So a, a sheeple or a thought repeater will be like, man, I don't even think I believe this anymore, but I'm not going to say anything because my friends will get mad or you know, like uh, my parents will get mad or my, you know, like they're so worried about what other people think about them that they hold on to their old identity, even if they don't even agree with it. So like easiest way to think about that, like politics, you know, Democrat, Republican, there may be Democrats out there that 
lean more right now. They're like, they're like, man, Joe Biden's a fucking basket case. And like, it's fucked up. Like, geez, like, how do we vote this guy in? I'm going to start voting right again. And, but they'll never go say that. They'll never put it out there because they've built an identity around that old version of themselves and they're unwilling to be vocal about it. That's not a thought leader. A thought leader would be like, you know what? I used to think that and it's fucked up. And now I believe this today. So, and while also having understanding along the way, you know, I've never shared this on a really, I've shared this with some of my clients from time to time because it came up, but there was never really a need. And there's something that you're talking about that applies to me, my situation specifically. So me and my wife, me and my wife are both in our thirties, both veterans. Um, my wife is black, white, and Puerto Rican. I'm white. And you know, she, she voted one way. I voted another. We're happily married. We, 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 we live well together, but additionally she got vaccinated and I haven't. And guess what? We don't, we're not in the house tearing each other apart. We both have reasons why we haven't and, and why she, and now we both support the decision that the other person has made and, and continue to go back and forth. Like you're talking about, um, you know, siding with one person one minute. And then now, now I'm kind of leaning towards, okay, I side with you now. So I think that's important for everybody to have that neutral thinking and not be afraid to, to stand for what you stand for and be able to change your mind. Cause I think a lot of people can't, they just get that they get stuck in that cycle of confirmation bias, right? This is what I believe. And I'm just going to reinforce it my entire life to my detriment. Oh yeah, dude, you got to have an open mind. And that's, that's what you talk about being a critical thinker. You have to look at the evidence. You have to get rid of the emotional bullshit that drives most of this world and just use logic whenever you can, but you have to have the self-awareness to do that. Because if you surround yourself with the wrong people or you consume the wrong material, it's going to cloud your judgment. You're going to start to form an identity around some of the stuff. I mean, you and I, we, we enjoy some of the stuff we see on Instagrams that kind of poke the flames, you know, on both sides. But those people really aren't thought leaders because if they were ever in a situation that they actually learned or they challenged their own perspectives and came up with a different result, do you think they would share that? Nope. Fuck no. Especially if they're making money burning the flyer on the other side. They become like the propaganda media at that point. Yep. That man. Uh, yeah, that's. I could talk to you about that one for hours. Um, I do, I do want to hit on one more subject before we, we close out. And this has been an awesome interview and talk so far, man. I've really gotten a lot from this. You know, we've, we've talked about overcoming fear. We've talked about designing your life. We talked about critical thinking. Um, and I would be doing everybody a disservice if I didn't hit on business a little bit. It, it, it does tie into critical thinking and decision-making. So um, I do have a lot of listeners that are either maybe on the fence about starting a business or, I think everybody deep down has something that they want to start. Maybe it isn't a business. Maybe it's just a hobby that they, I mean, a hobby that you, you monetize is a business, but I think everybody deep down has something that they want to pursue. And I, and I think that what we'll uncover here in this, in this, this question is the path to unlock their success essentially. So specifically, you know, there's, there's phases to an individual's growth, right? And let's just use business as an example. There is, I want to go and start something. And then they, the person goes and starts it. Then the next phase is, okay, now I want to be successful at this, right? And if you think about it in business, it's like, okay, starting the business idea is level one. Then maybe getting to six figures is level two. Then getting to seven figures is level three. And then past seven figures is level four, right? And so I want to kind of address those, those levels there. What do you think it is that blocks a person from getting to the next level in each one of those? I think to get to six figures, you're really working on the foundational things with business. And, and for me, the foundation starts with mindset. I know it's a buzzword, but there's no better way to describe what that is. Like most people enter the business realm or even a mid-level career. Maybe you're in your 30s or 40s, you're kind of stagnated at your salary range. You're not really seeing an opportunity to, to become an executive and make seven figures or something. You know, you're just you're limited by the beliefs that were programmed into you by your authority and your parents and your friends. So when you look at your parents, for example, and they struggle their entire lives and they never even make six figures, who are you to believe that it's possible for you? Aren't your parents supposed to be better than you? And you know, who are you to believe? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make more than my dad. My dad worked so hard. Like, I'll never be able to do that. So you, you already create these artificial glass ceilings in your mind of your own potential. And the problem is that whatever snapshot of income or socioeconomic level you're currently at, usually hang around with kind of people in the same plus minus income level. And you kind of trap yourselves there because 
you may have a big dream. You put it out there on the table and your friends kind of laugh about it. Like, oh man, like you're a big dreamer. Like, you know, they just, they just, they don't believe it for themselves. Why the fuck do you think they're going to believe it for you? You may believe it, but when you're hanging around a bunch of people that just kind of naysay it and talk it down, you, you kind of go, well, I love these guys and I trust them. So maybe, maybe they're right. And you kind of shelf that idea. You don't even pursue it anymore. Right. So you start hanging around other people. You go, man, I want to make $150,000 a year. Someone that makes a lot more than that be like, why, why settle there, dude? Like 150, like psh, you could do that in a year if you want to. And you're like, what? How is that even possible? That's my dream. Like, cause your dream's too fucking small. So you got to hang around people that think bigger, that can see the potential within you that you don't even see for yourself. Cause everybody here, everybody listening, you have endless potential. Most of your potential is just defined on what you think is possible. But the impossible happens every time because people go pursue things and they push themselves into areas of life that they're not comfortable with and they become better and they become more driven and diligent or they, they have a purpose behind why they're doing things. They start to push themselves a little harder and they also start to hang around with people that can see those potentials and challenge you and go like, dude, you're slacking. Fuck. Come on, man. Like, what's going on with this? Like, do more. Quit making excuses. Like, hold accountability to yourself. Like, all these things are important. And it all comes down to, dude, is uh, the mindset of understanding that anything's possible outside of physical limitations. Like, I'm not, you're not going to go dunk a basketball if you're, if you're too short and you don't have strong legs, right? Like, these physical limitations can, you know, hurt certain goals, but not all goals. Like, for business, you just got to have a mind. You got to be creative. You got to do the work. But be around the people that will challenge that stuff. That's, that's the most important to find, to go to six, six, six figures, seven figures. You start to do a little bit more systems and processes and you start to understand that you don't have to do it alone. You start to hire people that can do things for you. And there's a lot of people out there, unfortunately, business owners that are, they struggle in that six figure, even low seven figures for a long, long time, because they think that they're the only ones that could do this. Mm-hmm. I'm the only man. I, I can't trust anybody to do this because they always fuck it up, you know, and I always had to fix it anyway. So they got that mentality that for some reason, they're the best of the best at it. Nobody can do it. Like, hate to tell you this, guys, if if you're only earning six or seven figures at something, you are by far not the best of the best. Like you're, you're just barely getting started, brother. Right. So put away the ego and realize that there are literally thousands of people out there that can do what you're doing exactly at the same level, maybe even better than you but you just haven't found them yet and you, or you haven't trained them yet. So you got to start to hire employees, create processes that can be duplicated and scaled and have the systems in place, like the, the sales side, the, the fulfillment side, the manufacturing side, like whatever your company needs, like build those in the, the processes that other people can do. And that's how I was able to do this. Like I built those seven figure businesses without having to manage the business after a while, because one, I was learning from corporate how to create processes and systems and look at risk mitigation and manage money. I was doing all these things in my corporate job. I said, dude, I could do this with small business too. It actually makes small business really easy. I was managing hundreds of millions of dollars. So managing a couple hundred thousand dollars, that was like a joke to me, but Hey, it was my money. So I'm gambling it. I'm going to go play with it. Right. I would hire the right people to train and I would train them. I go, Hey, how do I do this? Well, I'll just write the procedure. How do I do this? And hire someone smart enough to read that procedure and just duplicate what I do. Then soon enough, I can just pay them and I can step out of the picture and they keep making me money. I don't have to be there anymore. Right. That's how you get to seven. Now to get to eight, it's just scaling the processes and systems and people at that point, getting to seven is the hard part. Getting to eight is a little easier. It's just more about scaling what you already have, right. Taking a little bit more risk, maybe then like nine, that just happens. It just grows and grows and grows if you're doing it the right way. I mean, it's, First seven figures, I think, is the hardest. Pulling yourself out and firing yourself as a business owner and having other people that run it for you, that, that's, that's probably the next hardest level because then you're like, oh, that's my baby and it's going to implode if I'm not there. Like, it's all bullshit thinking. That's all it is, dude. Yeah. I had that same conversation uh, with somebody today is, and we we're the assumption, well, the opinions were the same. Um, it was, you know, seeing, it was on the line with of seeing people fail because their egos were just too big and they think that they're the best person at their job. And so they just stay flat their entire, their entire business. So, you know, last question on, on business and it ties into goal setting and achievement, uh, which I know a lot of people listen for. And then, and then I'll, I'd love to hear a little about where you're going and things that you're working on and, and we'll close out. When, when, when you have a goal that you're working on, what's your process for achievement? You know, do you, 
have a, a, a system that you use for your goals or do you, what's your approach when you are tackling a big goal? How do you go about it? I look at the big goals, just like a project, me working 20 years as a project manager, project director and executive, I, I look at projects and with a project, it's defined by something that has a deliverable, something that you're creating at the end of this project. Well, that's your goal, right? So you got to think about what do I need to do to just build backwards from that goal? How do I, how do I just start and identify what are the steps? What is the order? What is the sequence? Where do I need to put more resources in? What is the time for each of those steps? You can start building it backwards from the goal. And then you're going to start to run into things that maybe don't really align. Like, dude, this is like too aggressive. I, I don't know if I have enough time to do that. Well, in a project, if you don't have enough time, you just go, hey, I need to throw more resources at it. I need to hire more people or farm some of this out or throw more money in it. Like, there's always a way to get back to where you need to get, right? But you got to lay that out from, from the goal working backwards. It's like what we say, reverse engineer, right? And that will break or bank you because you can go, hey, I, that looks reasonable. And then just stick to the schedule, man. It's like most people look at the entire project of all the tasks that you have to do and they go, oh, fuck, that's a lot of stuff. It's overwhelming. Like, oh, don't even know where to start. But you, if you were just to plan it backwards and see the sequence, the proper logical sequence of what things need to occur in order, what's things that you could do at the same time, what are the things that you can't start until this is finished? Like you can build out the schedule. And when you do that, you're going to realize like, okay, this is achievable. And then you got to be really focused on step one because that's this, this, I got three days to do step one. Like just do it. Okay. I did that. Okay. I did it in a day early. Cool. I'm, I'm ahead of schedule, right? Let's, let's focus on step two. Like you don't have to look at all the other bullshit that's coming if you just plan it properly, because then you can be hyper-focused and give all your attention to what's, what you got to be doing today. Do you allow yourself to adjust the end goal at all? You know, because when you go through, if this is a 10-year project, right, you're going to have new information that comes along. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, with that initial vision that you had for the project, it's going to change and evolve over time. Yeah. Are you pretty flexible about adjusting to that or do, you, or do you find yourself being a little more rigid? I think that having a 10-year goal is, is too long to focus on. So you need to break that down into smaller goals within the 10-year goal. So... I would say one year is probably like a sweet spot, six months. I would do a six month project to get started until you start to get the discipline and understand how this works. But set six month goals. They could be milestones along that journey to the 10 year goal. But again, you're just having to work backwards a lot longer to get to those different tasks to get that granular. So do six month goals, whether that's fitness or business or things like that, and, and stay on schedule. I mean, most people, dude, don't even use a schedule. I know successful business owners that still don't use a schedule. They they always end up when they come work with me, they end up with a schedule and they're like, holy shit, like it's a whole lot easier to do this. Like, no shit. Like, like I can't believe they don't like we literally carry these cell phones around with us that have schedule apps built into <laughs> them, literally. And you can just look at it and see like the schedule at any time of the day. And guys, if you can use Google Calendar, you can use apps on your phone, but you got to have a schedule. And, and the thing is that the goals need to be something you schedule because it goes back to time again. We talked about time is the most important. Schedule everything. Schedule your workout. Schedule your creative time. Schedule your social time. Schedule everything months in advance. Yeah. And what you're going to start to see is like all those excuses that you had about not having enough time were just a bunch of bullshit because there's a lot of gaps on your calendar. Even when you're a busy person, like we have gaps. And you're like wishing you could close some of those gaps. Like, man, I wish I, I wish these two meetings were back to back instead of having an hour in between. Like, shit, you know, like you just, you start to realize like, dude, I have a lot more time than I thought. But people that tell me that don't have time, my response is show me your calendar. And then they go, oh, I don't have a calendar. Like, then you, you're just not managing your time. You have time. You're just not managing it. Yeah. You're just oblivious. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, man, Tony, um, I could I could do this all day with you. I appreciate the insights today. Um, what about current projects that you're working on? Anything that you I, did? I hear rumor that you're coming out with another book. Is that is that true? I, or is that I will. I will. No, that's that's true. I I love the writing process, and rather than just writing another business book, I'm going to challenge myself and be a little bit more uncomfortable and write a fiction book. Oh, I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, and and you're. You had one out that I, I actually, uh, everybody needs to go pick this up. One of my favorite side hustle millionaire. Um, 
that's currently out. They can get that on Amazon, correct? Correct. Yeah. Number one bestseller in 2018 and helps people really take the idea for their business that they've been rattling around in their mind for a couple of years, or maybe a few ideas that you have. I teach you how to assess those ideas against each other to figure out which one has the potential that, that you're looking for that meets the goals that you want. And then it kind of goes step by step on how to make that idea into reality. And it could help you start your first business and maybe build you a seven figure business. Awesome, man. You guys should definitely check that out. And if people want to learn more about you, is, where can they find you? Is there anything else that they should know that you have that's out there? Man, I just, their podcast listeners come check out my show too. It's 365 Driven. You'll find it on all the same apps that you're listening to. And we're about 220 episodes in. It's been three years since it's been awesome. I love it, man. It's uh, the networking opportunities and just really sharing the the wisdom and the value and experience from the guests that come on, just like you do. Awesome, man. Um, any other final comments before we close out? I think that the number one regret for all business owners is not starting sooner. Mm. And most people are in consumption mode rather than creating mode. So they're always consuming, consuming, consuming. They think they need to go listen to every podcast, read every business book, go to every business convention. And they just think that they're always preparing and preparing and preparing, but they never pull the trigger and actually go create the LLC or create the checking account for their business or create a Stripe account or a PayPal, really simple shit that you can actually do in one day if you just sit down and commit to doing it. Understand this, people, is that successful entrepreneurs are built. They're not learned and then started. They, they build over time. You don't have to have any answers to start, but you're going to learn as you go. And that's important because the number one regret is not starting sooner. So go start your business. Understand that you're going to improve with time. You will make mistakes. That's why you get in coaching groups and you learn things as you go, but we all make mistakes. So just start, understand that you're going to get better. That first business or the second or the third may bomb, but the fourth one may make you millions, but you got to go start. You got to execute. That's the best way to learn. Love it. Absolutely love it. And it applies to every single industry that's out there, whether you're starting a business or you want to go train MMA in your thirties, right? It's like, just get, don't live in a state of want, go live in a state of action and just start it and uh you or else you'll regret it later on well that's right mr tony wiley i appreciate you brother and uh thanks for joining in uh guys gals listen if you've if you enjoyed today's episode if you laughed if you learned if you walked away inspired maybe you found some motivation you decided to confront a little bit of fear you learned something about goal setting and achievement i mean there was a ton in here and if you took anything away please just share it with a friend um that's all that we ask and put something into action today be the leader that your friends or family they need and until next time, be the leader. I need some motivation. motivation. Every day I try a little harder, but my dedication. dedication. Keep my head way, way above the water. Trying myself when I yell at the wall. Begging to run, but I needed to crawl. I see the finish line up ahead. Trying to get traction from all of this tread. I am a king. I am a queen. I am more than the people can see. I am strong when I'm needing to be. Vulnerability's nothing to me. You can try, but I'm unshakable. My successes is never debatable. I'm coming and I'm so interchangeable. Here's to you and all that you are capable. You gotta go hard, better get it. You gotta go.